0: All right, well, today we are in part two of our series, Wrestling Club, and today we're gonna talk about wrestling with loss and grief, and I need to start with a story of how my nephew, who is now 10, learned about loss and death at the prime age of three. Jalen and I had made the trek to Wisconsin to visit my family for Thanksgiving, and this was before we had kids of our own, and we were enjoying some time hanging with the whole family and enjoying hanging hanging out with my nephew, Seth, and he wanted to watch Inside Out, So Inside Out was on the TV, and we were all kind of watching it. Now, I I don't want to spoil the movie for anyone, but I'm gonna. Um, There's a moment in the movie where the imaginary friend Bing Bong has been helping Joy figure out a way to get out of the pit of forgotten memories. And without telling Joy, he realizes that she needs his weight coming down that hill, uh, but he needs to drop off the wagon before the big jump if she's going to make it out to the top so he does that joy makes it to the top and then looks down and realizes that bing bong is down below where he's cheering and he's celebrating that she got out but eventually he fades into nothing sad moment in the movie he sacrificed his own life for the benefit of joy and it's at that moment when my three-year-old nephew asks, what happened to bing bong what happened to bing bong very sad what happened to Bing Bong? And Jalen, as a wife, but not yet a mother, without blinking, just blurted out, oh, Bing Bong died. <laughs> like, Bing Bong died. And that's when my sister looked at Jalen with a look that I recognized from our childhood as, oh, you just messed up. And my nephew then asked, what is died? what is died? And that's the moment that something else died. What died right there was Jalen's confidence in answering the questions of children as she realized she had been the first person to expose that child to the idea of death. She tried to fix it by saying bing bong disappeared, but by that point the damage was done and my sister spent the rest of the night trying to explain what death was to three-year-old nephew Seth. Now a quick review Last week, we began this series, Wrestling Club by acknowledging the reality that life brings us all kinds of moments and situations that cause us to wrestle. And that people who know how to wrestle will always be better at wrestling than people who don't know how to wrestle. And that's true on a wrestling mat, and that's true in the difficult, painful, terrible moments of life that cause us to wrestle. So for a few weeks, we're talking about how to wrestle. So when the events of life and the enemy of your soul try to knock you out and off the mat— you are equipped to fight back and equipped to wrestle with those moments. And last week, the main challenge challenge was simply this, to stay engaged in the fight. We said it this way, to keep wrestling until you reach the blessing and to keep wrestling with God, not away from him. That instead of bailing on the fight, which comes so naturally to us, we keep wrestling until we reach the stronger, deeper better that is on the other side of our struggle. And we don't push away from God. We lean on in and we hold on for dear life. Now today, as we talk about the things that we wrestle with today, we're going to talk about grief. And this is actually a subject that I've had on the docket for about two and a half years uh, to talk about. But I, until now, I didn't know exactly where, where this fit in. And I know this fits in as we talk about wrestling. See, grief is our natural response to loss if you wonder what grief is, grief is our natural response to loss, any loss. And unfortunately, life is full of loss. And to make the connection to the very beginning, there's the most obvious type of loss, which is the death of someone that you love the passing of a beloved parent or grandparent, the sudden, no one could have done anything, you know, death of a brother or sister, the terrible, painful experience of a miscarriage, showing up to work on a Monday morning and finding out that a friend and coworker was in an accident and lost their life over the weekend. That type of loss is an all too common part of our lives in existence. And within those, I mean, you know there are different levels of pain and grief associated with different types of death depending on the circumstances surrounding their passing. If they were sick for a long time and you saw their death coming from a distance, you had an opportunity to grieve while they were still living and an opportunity to say goodbye, maybe an opportunity to patch things up and right any wrongs that there were between you and you left things in a really healthy place and you're sad and you miss them, but there's not necessarily the same pain surrounding that type of loss, right? And there's the, then there's the sudden unexpected passing of someone that you love, and you didn't get to say goodbye, and you didn't get the opportunity to try to make any, any, things, any, any wrongs right. And in those moments, the loss carries a pain with it that is incredibly intense. But let's be honest, while that's the most obvious type of loss that fills us with grief, it's certainly not the only type of loss that leaves us Grieving. Maybe some of you in 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 life you haven't experienced a whole lot of death around you, but you've had the loss of a relationship. If you've ever gone through a breakup and you couldn't seem to find your footing afterward, it's because what you were experiencing is you experienced a loss, and that loss. Filled you with grief. You may not have known to call it that, but that's exactly what you were experiencing. You lost a person that mattered to you, a relationship that mattered to you. Maybe you lost a preferred future that included that person and now it's gone. Or maybe back when you were you when when that happened, maybe it was three years, four years, five years ago, ten years ago, you experienced the grief that was associated with the loss of, of a future, the loss of a what you maybe thought was gonna be a marriage and a family. You lost something significant and it filled you with grief. You didn't know to call it that. You just called it a breakup. People told you to move on and you couldn't find out, figure out how to move on because what you were experiencing wasn't just a breakup, it was grief. It was grief because you lost a relationship. Maybe it was the loss of a job. You poured years and years into a job The people that you worked with at that job are sort of a family to you. You have a good thing going and you have the lifestyle that's supported by your work and then the economy changed or the business changed direction and you lose all of that. And because so much of our identity tends to get tied up and wrapped up in our work, When you lose your work, it feels like you lose a little bit of yourself and you lose your source of income. You maybe lose your source of security and you're grieving something. Again, you're in in the middle of all of this stuff. You're feeling a whole lot of fear. You're feeling a whole lot of insecurity. You're feeling a whole lot of what comes next. But while you're feeling all of that, there's an undercurrent of grief because you have experienced a loss. Maybe, let's just be honest, this, this is why I put this in, the, in in the calendar you know to talk about at some point uh, a couple years ago in the pandemic we all lost something with the events of 2020 and, and 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 some of the things that we have felt about the year 20 even as I say it three years later some some of the emotions that the year 2020 brings up the reason there's such strong emotion there is because we all lost something because there's grief there. And we did such a poor job of acknowledging that we all lost something. We did such a poor job of acknowledging that the undercutting thing, the undercurrent of it all was a grief of what we had lost. Some of you, you didn't get to have major life events the way that you always dreamed of them being. Like you didn't get to have graduation in the Pan Am or at the Field of Dreams with thousands of people cheering you on. You had a virtual graduation where your name popped up on a screen for four seconds. Some of you, you didn't get to have the wedding that you always dreamed of. You ha- you got married, you're married, you're, you married the love of your life, you had a small private ceremony in a backyard, and it was beautiful, and it, it was intimate, but it wasn't what you dreamed, and it wasn't what you spent your entire life planning. It was, no one's Pinterest board was full of backdoor wedding ideas for 2020, okay? It was full of the big wedding, the the, the awesome party, and you didn't get to have that, and you lost your dream of what your wedding would be. Some of you you had a baby in the middle of the pandemic and you got induced instead of letting things happen naturally and your family couldn't meet the baby while you were in the hospital. Some of you even your husbands couldn't even be in the hospital with you. Like you're, like there like there there was that difficulty that 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 moment that was supposed to be full of so joy for the whole family was filled with weirdness and was filled with awkwardness because only you could be there and you were in a mask and everybody was in a mask you're like this is so so weird and so different than you would picture some of you had family reunions that canceled got canceled some of you had holiday plans that got canceled either because of covid carefulness or because you got covid at the worst possible time as a pastor of a of a 4-year-old church at the start of 2020 let me just kind of talk about this because this, this is this is this is some of my personal experience with 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 loss and grief in the year 2020. We had experienced four years of growth and momentum, and really had started to get some things established. And I think there was a lot of excitement over what God had done in four years. And honestly, as the pandemic unfolded, it felt like four years of hard work and dreams and effort and blood, sweat, and tears and prayers just seemed to be erased. Like it felt like. All of the, uh, those first four years, it just felt like we lost all of the momentum and all of the excitement and all of the look at what the Lord has done and look at the, what the Lord is doing in our church. It felt like it just got erased. And the uncertainty and the instability of everything for so long, it really felt like not only was all of that progress lost, but it also seemed like it put a gigantic long term pause on any progress moving forward. And that's what was lost for me. And that's what was, I think, lost for, for so many churches and for our church in 2020. See, here's the thing. Life is full of loss that fills us with grief. And if that was the the end of the statement, that would be a whole lot of stuff to deal with. But that's not the end of the statement. Life is full of loss that fills us with grief. And grief causes us to wrestle with many different things. Grief causes us to wrestle. I mean, some of us, we think we're wrestling with grief. Grief is a very natural response. Grief is a natural emotional response to loss. We think we're wrestling with grief, but at, at the end of the day, we're not really wrestling with grief. That's our, our natural response. What we wrestle with is what grief brings out of us and what grief causes in us and, what the, and the, the emotions and the feelings that start in us and work their way out of us. For some of us, what grief bring, gr- brings out of us is a deep sadness, right? Uh, again, and I'm, I'm not talking about the, the momentary you know, passing sadness. Like We've all felt that at some points, but for some of us, let's be honest, grief puts us, when we're grieving, when we lose something, when we're feeling grief, it leads us to a deep, lasting sadness. Again, not momentary passing sadness, but where sadness consumes our lives, where sadness consumes Us, for some of us, what it brings out of us is that grief brings anger out of us. Like this, this is me. My, my grief does not come out in sadness. It comes out in anger and frustration and loudness and, 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 a, and a tone that, that no, that no one enjoys being around, which makes me awesome to be around in a time where I feel like I've lost something. Like I, for me, I, my, my grief doesn't come out in sadness. It comes out in anger. And some of you, that's true for you as well. For some of us, it comes out in bitterness Like this is one of the difficulties of like continuing to wrestle. We want to keep wrestling with God, but often while we're wrestling with God, if we're not careful and if we're not attentive to our hearts, our hearts become calloused and tough and we become bitter. And we're not just, you know, bitter for a moment. We're bitter for a season. We're bitter for a stretch. We're consumed by bitterness. And so what what we need to be careful about this is that if you don't learn to wrestle with grief well, unfortunately, our very real, very natural grief can become the very thing that not only drives a wedge between us and our Heavenly Father, as you doubt, you know, as as you go, God, you could have, and if you would have, and I think you should have, it can drive a wedge between us and our Heavenly Father. But if we're not careful, it becomes the thing that we're consumed by the things that are nothing that we wanna be consumed by. We don't want to be people consumed by sadness. We don't want to be people who are consumed by anger. We don't want to be consumed by bitterness. We don't want to be consumed. We want to have the questions and bring them to our Heavenly Father. But we don't want to be, want to be a person consumed by questions and doubt about why God didn't and why God wouldn't and why all, all of this. Have, we become, we, 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 we if we're not careful, if we don't learn how to wrestle with grief well, We have a wedge that gets driven between us and our Heavenly Father and we become a version of ourselves that we never wanted to be. And so today we're going to learn how to wrestle with grief and how we wrestle with God in the face of grief and how we how we continue to wrestle, how we keep wrestling until we experience and receive the blessing and how we, how we do that and how we bring that to God. And to do that, I'm, I'm, I've got a little bit of pastoral wisdom I'm going to share in just a moment, but first we're going to go to the word of God because God's word actually has an immense amount to say about how we how we face loss and how we how we process grief and where we take our grief that leads us to to grieve in a healthy manner in a way that that brings us and, and actually builds our connection with God and doesn't destroy our connection with God and makes us more and more into the people that God wants us to be not into the sad angry, bitter, doubtful people that grief can so often turn us into. And so to, to talk today about grief, we're going to actually go to this passage from the book of First Thessalonians. This is written by, Pete, by Paul um, to people who were trying to figure out what it meant to know Jesus, what it meant to follow Jesus, what it meant to have a connection with God, and what the future would hold after this life was over. See, Christians have always believed that there was more to this life than just this life, that, 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 that because our Savior rose from the dead, there was a life beyond this life for every single one of us. And so in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13, there's two verses that I, that, I, that I want us to focus on. It says this in verse 13, we do not want you to be uninformed brothers and sisters concerning those who are asleep. Again, I, I love that this is what the Christians believe. They didn't refer to people as dying. They referred to people as being asleep because one day Jesus would wake up all right? And so I love that, that, that he used this language, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. So that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Let me read it one more time. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, those who have passed, concerning the loss that you have endured, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Two things from that passage that are incredibly important for us to understand. The first one is simply this, that we grieve. We grieve. We, we feel what everyone else feels, what, what everyone feels. We, we grieve. We feel everything we need to feel. We take all the time that we need to take. We make sure we get it all out, and then we have understanding that there's still maybe waves that come after that. Any Christian leader or pastor who tells you that you shouldn't grieve loss is throwing out the New Testament t- teaching that we should grieve that we should grieve. See, Paul never never says, no, I don't want you to grieve. He says, I don't want you to grieve the way the rest of the world grieves, but I know you're going to grieve. When you lose something, when you lose a loved one, when you lose a job, when you lose a relationship, when you lose anything else that you may lose in life that matters, when you lose that, you're going to grieve. There's there's a loss, and and so there's going to be grief. And Paul says, you're going to grieve. It's a natural response to any kind of loss, and and, and here's the thing: as, as we talk about that, we like we grieve, and I, and I just feel like as, as a pastor, like I, I so often have a really a front row seat to the the emotions and the, and and what happens as as people go through these difficult moments of life. As as I've pastored students and adults, and you know been in ministry now for for about twenty two years, like seeing seeing so many difficult moments of of loss and seeing people grieve in different ways. I just want to let you know a few things that I've seen. This is this is this is not there's no Bible verses attached to any of this, but this is just pastoral wisdom from from seeing it. There's three things that I want to let you know about how we grieve and what's important as we grieve. Number one is that grief does not have a defined schedule. Like some people grieve immediately. The emotion hits them hard and it's overwhelming tears and it's and it's tears for an hour and it's tears for a day and it's tears for a week and it's such overwhelming emotion immediately. And then there are some people who go numb immediately and the emotion actually hits them much later. After the, after the break, you know, a month after the breakup, two weeks after the breakup, a month after the funeral, six months after the funeral, there's some people who... They, they, don't, they don't want to feel what they're feeling in the moment, so they, so they fill their life with distractions. and They get busy, 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 and then all of a sudden, years, maybe months or weeks or maybe even years down the road, life stops, and all of a sudden, the weight of that, of that grief hits us. Some people won't notice themselves grieving until there's an ordinary moment that would have included blank, and now it doesn't. You know, it normally would have included that relationship with that person. It normally would have included the person who passed away. It normally would have this. You know, this time of year would have been the year we at ha- the time we have the Thanksgiving work pot lunch pot, pot lunch, and, and now and, and, and now I'm, I'm you know I'm not having lunch with those with those people right now. See, what what I know is that grief does not have a set schedule, but grief will come to everyone at some point, and chances are grief will come in waves. And so you may be the person where you grieve immediately and then all of a sudden it feels like the moments have passed and then a year to the day you're like, whoa, this grief, like I I thought I had dealt with that. It's okay for the thing that you thought you had dealt with and the thing that you had processed and the thing that you had moved on. It's okay for there to be waves. It's okay for it to come back. It's okay. like You think you've grieved and cried and processed and then something new triggers a wave of emotion. If you ever have that, that's normal. Grief takes time and time is your friend, not the enemy. You can't rush the process And for those of you who feel these incredibly intense waves, you can't slow down the process. Grief does not have a defined schedule. So whatever grief looks like and whatever your grief schedule looks like, whatever your grief calendar looks like, I'm just telling you, grief will come to you. Grief is part of the experience and it doesn't happen on a defined schedule and it doesn't happen on your pace, okay? Here's the second thing. Everyone grieves differently, but every loss must be grieved, okay? Everyone grieves differently. Like, so that's why you can't tell someone how to grieve. You can't like, hey, no, you need to be sad now. Now's the time to cry. No, no, actually, we're all gonna cry together. Like, like you can't, you can't do that. You can't force someone to grieve the way that you think they should grieve. But if you're on the side of, of, of going, like, you know what, I just felt numb and numb and numb and I didn't want to feel it, and I just kept myself busy and I kept myself busy. I didn't want to think about the loss because I knew if I if I thought about the loss, I would lose it. I want to let you know, every loss, it must be grieved. Small loss, small grief, right? Big loss, big grief. And this is a must. If you have experienced a loss and you have never grieved about it, you need to take some time and you're like, this this sounds like a really discouraging thing. No, this is a healthy thing, which means this is a positive thing. But you need to actually... Grieve, losses must be grieved. They're a it's a necessity. If you don't, and here's why: if you don't allow yourself to grieve, eventually you will grieve uncontrollably. This is this is this is what if you don't allow yourself time to grieve and process to grieve, eventually you will grieve uncontrollably. Now that doesn't mean you'll cry at an inopportune moment. It means one way or another, your body will act out to get the grief out and you won't have control of how or when it gets the grief out. And here's the third thing is that grief is isolating by nature, but healing requires community. Like grief is one of those things that we all tend to process inwardly. We all tend to kind of pull ourselves into our shell. You know, turtles pull into their shell for protection from danger. Grief is one of those things we feel as dangerous. And so we all kind of pull back from community. We pull back from community. And here's what you need to understand that you need to know about turtles. Turtles pull into their shell because it protects them from danger. But turtles don't live in the shell they don't live their life in the shell there is a season there's a stretch where you know like, hey it's you know like i pull like i pull back a little bit for, because because i i feel danger because i feel fear because i feel whatever i feel but you can't heal in your shell you 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 can be protected in your shell but you can't heal in the shell healing requires community. It requires voices. It requires connection. It requires love from other people. It requires grace from other people. It requires patience from other people. It requires truth from other people. It requires all of that, and it comes from other people, which means you pull into your shell naturally because because grief is isolating. It's isolating by nature, but healing requires that you pull your head out of the shell and you re-engage in community. Paul says we grieve, and you need to grieve. And grief is gonna be isolating, but it also requires that it's at, that after you've had your time in your shell, that you pull your head out of your shell and you re-engage. And and and, and we grieve, we grieve differently, and, and, and everyone's gonna have their own process, but you need to have the process so that you stay in, in control and that, that that grief doesn't come out of you in uncontrollable ways down, down, down the road. And grief doesn't have a defined schedule, but it's gonna take place over time. We grieve. Paul says we grieve. That's the first acknowledgement, that when you lose something, you're going to grieve. You need to grieve, and you need people around you to help you grieve, and you need community to heal you as you grieve, to to bring the healing that God wants to bring about in you as you grieve, and you need community to help you, to to help remind you that it's okay for grief to take time, and that it's not going to happen on a set schedule, and you need voices around you to, to, to remind you that, hey, If you're not careful, you're not gonna grieve and it's gonna come out in uncontrollable ways. Like we need to grieve, we grieve, we grieve. That's the first part of what Paul says. But the second part is is, is just as important because Paul is very clear on his instruction that people who know and trust in Jesus don't grieve like people who don't know and trust in Jesus. There's something defining about the way that we grieve that is different from the rest of the world around us. And so here's what Paul said. He says, we grieve holding on to hope. And that looks different than what the rest of the world does. So those who know and trust in Jesus, we grieve differently. And what's different about the way that we grieve is we grieve loss while holding on to hope, while holding on to the one who brings us hope. Paul says, we grieve. I don't want you to grieve like the rest of the world who has no hope. Meaning I want you to, as you grieve, I want you to grieve clinging to hope and clinging to hope because you cling on to the one who brings hope. This is what it looks like to wrestle with grief, right? That, that, that we feel everything that we need to feel And then we bring it to our heavenly father, who is the source of hope. We we, we feel everything we need to feel. We experience all of the emotion that we need to experience. We take all the time that we need to take. And while we're doing that, we still continually bring it to our heavenly father as the source of hope, as the source of life, as the source of renewal, as the source of protection, as the source of, I'm not my own shell. He's the shell of protection around me as the source of everything that I need in the middle of my time of grief. And I have hope and belief and trust that he not only has what I need, but he will be what I need and will provide everything that I need. This is what it looks like to wrestle with hope. I feel my anger at the loss of the relationship, but I also recognize that the loss of the relationship is not the end of the story that God has for me. I feel sadness at the loss of a loved one, but I also recognize that God is the God of eternal life, not just this life. I feel frustration over the fact that I lost the future that I had hoped for, but I believe in the God who has a future better than I can imagine. I feel despair because I don't know how moving forward and moving on is possible, but I place my hope in the God who raises the dead, and for that type of God, nothing is impossible. Right, and so we grieve with hope because the story is never over with God. We grieve with hope because our pain is not the end of the story. We grieve with hope because loss is not the end of the story. We grieve with hope because death is not the end of the story. We grieve with hope because God is the end of the story, and we grieve with hope because at the end of whatever we think is the end of the story, there's God with a brand new beginning, and He is our hope, and He is love, and He is peace, and He is joy, and He is and has everything we need, which fills us with hope, even in the face of loss. And we grieve with hope because of one other thing that God's word promises about how God responds to us in our time of grief and our time of pain. In Psalm chapter 34, written by King David, who had experienced so much grief and so much loss, who had lost children to, to poor birth conditions, who had lost children to conflict and war with him, who had lost wives, who had, who had literally had one of his wives taken back from him by his father-in-law, a.k.a. the king, who had the power to do that, who had experienced men turning their backs on him, who had experienced so much loss. As he reflects on all of that loss as the king, in Psalm 34, he writes this, that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. I mean, like, we could just stop there. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. And the Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. See, we grieve with hope because God comes close in our loss. I mean, this is what we talked about last week about making sure that we wrestle with God and not away from God. God comes close to us to deliver, to protect, to rescue, and to heal. And let's never push away the God who is coming close. But at the other side of that, we need to understand the reality that we come close. And in our times of grief, God comes close. God comes close to us in our times of loss, in our times of hurt, in our times of grief. God supernaturally through his Holy Spirit comes close and becomes intimate in a way that we don't know any other way or any other time. Now, there's an interesting picture of this in our physical bodies. And I I actually learned about it from a time of intense pain for Jalen. Now, like when Jalen and I got married, and we've been married for 11 and a half years now, she came with a bad back, okay? She came in as is condition. There was no return policy for the bad back. And then in our first year of married life, she had an incident that caused her back to get bad, like really bad. And she had always had a chiropractor. And when things were at their worst that first year of marriage, she was going to the chiro- that chiropractor three to four times a week to manage the pain. It was, it was intense. That's what she needed to do to manage the pain. And after seeing what those bills did to our health savings account that first year of marriage, I suggested she find another chiropractor who didn't manage the pain, but would fix her back. And we knew a chiropractor whose kids were in my youth group and the family attended our church. And we said, we, we kind of asked about a little bit about his approach, whether it was managing pain or actually trying to correct and, and fi- fix underlying issues. And he said his approach was to correct and fix underlying issues. So we decided to give him a try. So we got into Dr. Precure's office and they did all kinds of tests and early treatments trying to identify what the, what the issue was. And he said, you know what, she might have a slipped disc, which would require surgery. And at that point, we, like, we went, oh my goodness, we, we've already heard this. We know how much that is. But he said, but he, but he wanted to try one other thing first. What he wanted to try was this. He knew about her car accident that it had caused the original back injury years earlier. And in his test, he was pretty sure that she had a great deal of scar tissue where things had kind of healed, but hadn't fully healed. And, and the fact that it had not fully healed that scar tissue was at the root of all of her back issues, right? Okay. And so we thought trying, he, he, we thought that trying something sounded better than back surgery. So we were in. But I, I had a question I'm like, isn't scar tissue pretty much set? Like, how do we work and fix scar tissue without removing scar tissue? And here's what the doctor said his plan was to give Jalen a series of shots that would, in his words, simulate a new injury. I'm like, so you're going to hurt my back, my wife's back in hope of healing my wife's back. He said we need to trick the body, this is his words, that we needed to trick the body into thinking that there was a new injury at the site of the old injury so the body would send all of the body's healing properties to the site of this injury. And I don't know if he was trying to impress me with spiritual sounding language because I pastored his kids or not, but if that was his goal, what he said next worked. He said this, We have to trick the body into thinking there's a new hurt because when there's hurt in the body, the blood flows to the hurt. The blood flows to the hurt. And for someone out there right now, in the middle of your loss, in the middle of your hurt, in the middle of your pain, in the middle of your grief, you need to know that what's true in our physical bodies is also true from the body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that the blood flows to the hurt. Now, what's amazing about that is the plan worked. And over the course of a month of these shots and and, and some additional treatment, Jalen's back was healed. I mean, we were praying. We have been praying for like six months. And over the course of this month, along with our prayers, those, along with those shots, along with the treatment, all of it worked together and Jalen's back was healed. You know what's even more amazing is that the blood flows to the hurt. And what's even more amazing about that is that the blood flows to your hurt. That God is close to the brokenhearted because the blood of Jesus flows to our hurt. The blood of Jesus that brings us into right relationship with God, allows us to draw near to God, is the same blood that flows and brings healing to our brokenness and our grief. The same blood that allows us to draw near to God, allows God to draw near to us to bring healing to our brokenness and our grief and our pain and our loss. And from Psalm 34, here's what the blood promises. I'm calling these the blood promises of the wrestling club. The blood promises these four things. It promises us healing, promises us deliverance, promises us protection, and promises us rest. See, the healing in the Old Testament connotation, it says, you know, God saves those whose spirits are crushed. That word saves in the Old Testament actually comes from the same root word as our understanding of the word salve or balm or healing ointment. And in the Old Testament connotation, salvation wasn't primarily about the forgiveness of sin. It was healing. The words are the same. It says that God brings healing. God brings salvation. God brings salvation by healing. God saves us by healing us. That God saves and heals those whose spirits are crushed as God comes close to the brokenhearted. As God comes close to the brokenhearted, we are delivered, we're offered a rescue from what would break you. That you think the grief and the loss and the pain and the the anger and the bitterness and the sadness, you think it's crushing in on you and it's going to break you. But God, in his goodness, Blood flows to offer us deliverance so that what would break us, we are rescued from. that. We are rescued from what would break us. The blood brings us healing. The blood brings us deliverance. And the blood brings us protection. That we have a shield around your vulnerable, broken heart and spirit. Instead of being the turtle that needs to climb into our own shell, we climb into the shield that God is and provides around us to, pr- to, to protect our vulnerable, broken heart and our vulnerable, broken spirit. And then the blood promises us a refuge, a strong tower that we can in safety. That's what the blood does for you as the blood flows to your hurt. It heals us, it delivers us, it protects us and it's a refuge for us. And the good news of that Why that's so good news in the middle? You don't need to heal yourself in your grief. You allow God to heal you as he comes close to you because the blood flows to the hurt. Because the blood flows to the hurt, you don't need to protect yourself in your grief. You allow God to be your protection. Because the blood flows to the hurt, you don't need to be strong in your grief. You allow God to be your refuge and your strength. See, that's the beauty of wrestling In our grief, as we cling to God, God clings to us. Wrestling until there's a blessing. God comes close to be the blessing, the blessing of a refuge, and the blessing of healing, and the blessing of, of, of renewal, and the blessing of deliverance. As we stay close to Him, as we stay engaged in the fight, as we keep wrestling until we see the blessing, the blessing is God himself coming close to us because the blood flows to the hurt. And as the blood flows to the hurt, the blood of Jesus brings healing from the hand of God. It brings deliverance from the hand of God. It brings protection from the the heart of God. And it brings a refuge from God himself as we run to him and find that we are safe and secure in his loving embrace. So how do we wrestle with grief? We grieve. But we grieve with hope, knowing that as we keep coming to our Heavenly Father, He draws close to us, and He has and is everything that we need. And that's what we discover as we engage in and as we decide that we're going to be part of the wrestling club, as we wrestle with God, not away from Him, that we're going to wrestle and keep wrestling until we find the blessing. As we keep wrestling, we find that God has and he has deliverance, and he has protection, he has refuge, he has, and he is everything that we need in our moments of loss, in our moments of pain, in our moments of hurt, and oh yes, our moments of grief. We find that God is and has everything that we need. Pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy, your truth, your word that is to us everything Everything that we need to know about you. And God, we thank you that as we keep wrestling with grief, and as we keep wrestling with you in the face of grief, and as we keep wrestling until we find the blessing that you have for us in the middle of our grief, God, I thank you that the wrestling, that the, that the blessing is you. I thank you that the blessing is that we and we would know your rescue and we would know your deliverance and we would know who you are and we would know your we would we would know your healing and we would know everything that you have for us as we seek you and as we wrestle with you so God help us to help us to grieve yes help us to make sure that we grieve as people who have hope in the living God and that brings us hope in the face of grief until we wrestle with it, until we see the blessing in it. So God, help us to see you, help us to know you, help us to trust you, help us to look to you in the face of grief, and help that to be everything that we need as we seek you. We love you, God, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.